Today's podcast is brought to you by Patreon supporter Dwight McCormick. If you'd like to learn how you can support the podcast through a small recurring monthly donation, just log on to schooloflaughs.com forward slash P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And we also have another sponsor. If you're a really funny comedian who wants more laughs, more gigs, and more money, the Clean Comedy Conference 2017 in San Diego is just for you. You'll learn from successful well-known comedians like Eddie Brill and Jimmy Brogan, as well as working comedians you may never have heard of who are making bank doing what they love, and they'll show you how you can do it too. More laughs, more gigs, and more money. The Clean Comedy Conference is October 13th through the 15th at the Comedy Palace in San Diego. It'll be jam-packed with workshops, panels, performance critiques, and plenty of networking and opportunities to perform. Registration is just under 120 bucks when you use the code SCHOOL OF LAUGHS. But this offer ends soon, so don't dilly-dally. Register now at cleancomedyconference.com and use the code SCHOOL OF LAUGHS. And you're on your way to more of everything you deserve. More laughs, more gigs, and more money. Clean Comedy Conference brought to you by Brandon Young and Maria Herman. Offer expires September 15th. Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by schooloflaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the show. Rick Roberts here. I appreciate Dwight McCormick for sponsoring the podcast through Patreon and also to the Clean Comedy Conference. Make sure you check that out October 12th through the 14th. So this is the last time I'll be able to tell you about it before the next episode comes out. So get in there, register, and uh, see if you can mention School of Laughs and get some kind of discount. All right. Hey, had a great interview, conversation, if you will, with Bo Schuster, a former student of mine. He invited me over to his home, which I'm always wary of, uh, anybody that would trust me in their house, but I only stole a couple of candies while I was in there. And uh, we talked all things comedy, got a full-time job, a lot of focus there, but when he's not working, he's looking for opportunities to perform and creating opportunities for others. We're going to cover a lot of ground this episode. I want to get right into it. Let's jump both feet right in. Boom. Right off the bat, without any delay, except for me delaying it by telling you that it's coming up next. Are you ready? All right, let's jump into it. Bo Schuster. Well, I am here with Bo Schuster. I'm, he's welcoming me into his beautiful home, and uh, we're going to talk today about a few different things, but just real quickly, Bo, how long ago was it when you first took the comedy class? I want to make sure I get that. It's been about five years, four or five years ago when I took the class, and I took the whole range of classes really before I got the guts to go up on an open mic. So I've been performing for a little more than three years. For that first year, I was going, yeah, a couple times a month. But since then, I've been trying to go about three times a week. Well, it's cool that you took the class and that you've kept up with it. Um, The one thing I like is not only did you keep up with it for your own benefit, but you started uh, a comedy gym kind of modeled after something you saw when you were out on the West Coast, correct? Yes. So for people that are are listening and you have a comedy community and you're you're going to open mics, but sometimes not everybody's able to make it out at night, you can do what what Bo here has done. Tell them about your comedy gym approach. Yeah, this is, uh, it, 
it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, we sort of started it informally, and it's gotten to be more of a of a formal deal. It's a workshop, uh, and the inspiration came from a trip to Los Angeles. Uh, my job has me traveling a good bit, and so and now that I'm yeah doing doing comedy instead of hanging out in a hotel room and watching you know division three lacrosse on <laughs> right. espn i'll go out to a comedy open mic and you get to you know, meet folks uh, who are doing comedy in other parts of the country and check out another scene and see what it's like in new orleans or dc or la and so you know one business trip to los angeles I was sort of noodling around on the websites to sort of find where the mics were that night. And there's a place called Marty's in Hollywood, mm-hmm. West Hollywood. Uh, and Marty is kind of like, you know, everybody's comedy uncle. I mean, he's a great guy. What he's done is he's sort of turned this space in West Hollywood to be kind of a hangout, multi-stage space. And so comics who are in between shows at other places in that part of Los Angeles will come over to Marty's, you put five bucks in the jar, and you can go up as often as you want. He's got three stages, one in the sort of common area space, one in one of the bedroom spaces, and they've got an outdoor patio with an outdoor stage. And folks drop in, and you can go up and then sign up to go back up again as often as you want. Um, and there's really no pressure for this to be a show. And it's the audience's other comics who are stopping you and saying, no, try it this way, or move that, move the punch word to the end, or here's a tag for you to try. And so then you can rewind back up, do the same joke. Um, and it was just so much fun. And I thought, well, that would be a fun thing to do at home. So you know, Marty's does this every night. Mm-hmm. And so you've got folks who are moving up or trying to move up, and you've got name folks sort of coming in. So that's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah sure. There were, there were a, a couple of folks everybody would recognize that showed up the night that I was there. And so they're yelling out tags to my jokes, and which, is, which was cool. Yeah, it's got to be real cool. So, so we set the same thing up here. And, yeah, again, it's, it's just a workshop. Yeah, there's no pressure to put on a show. There's not an audience. We don't forbid somebody to come and watch it but we give them a disclaimer you know this isn't a show that's cool and how often do you do that what's the frequency of the comedy gym currently it's the fourth sunday of every month that's great and not only do you have that going on which you're kind of facilitating uh you've got your own open mic that is twice a month so it's on my to-do list but tell me a little bit about the bell court taps everybody that has been there uh, raves about it. Every one of my new students started asking me, you know, where should I go? And I said, well, there's a bunch of them. The, the best open mic is the next one. But yes. if you want to go to one that's a little more cleaner and run tightly like a show and having some fun doing it, I always recommend yours. So kind of run me through how you first contacted that venue. Cause I think a lot of people listening would love to host an open mic theoretically at least but they don't know the steps to do it. So start with that. How did you sure. get in touch with them sure. and what was the... Well, first of all, you're always welcome. We'd, we'd love to have I would you love anytime to hop you in. can come. Um, yeah, and this is really your advice that, you know, if you, you know, want to have a particular kind of opportunity or want something close to your home is something that all your listeners can do too, just roll up your sleeves and you can start your own show. And so and I live a little south of... Nashville. The open mics that are in town are pretty easy for me to get to, but there's there really wasn't much down this way. So I started looking in this part of Nashville where there's a lot of restaurants, bars, you know, that kind of, of, of 
space that might be a lot of music venues, mm-hmm. music and food joints. You know, the problem is they were all doing pretty good business on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday nights, and they really didn't need me. So uh, I was kind of struggling to find a place until my friend Maria Tucker, who was friends with the folks that own and operate Belcourt Taps, sort of made that connection about us co-hosting the show there. And they, they've been very supportive, wonderful folks to work with. Um, and it was, I, I think the meeting to sort of agree to start the show lasted about seven minutes. Really? So they yeah. were all in. Yeah. You, you helped me sort of craft my pitch, how to sort of make the value proposition okay. to, uh, and yeah, they were already sold. They went, yeah, that sounds great. And so off we go. Uh, we really wanted to do a, a, a clean mic. And some of that is for selfish reasons. Uh, some of it is there really, at that time, wasn't another Mike, there wasn't another mic in town that was really sort of advertised and promoted as a, as a clean mic. Some of it was that I wanted a venue where my wife would go sometimes uh-huh. and hear me perform because, you know, she, you know she, she, number one, she doesn't do dive bars very well. Right. Uh, and, and, and number two, she is just, you know, the, I think a lot of things are funny. She doesn't think some of the, some of the edgier stuff is, is, is really fun. So, uh, and, and I wanted a place where there would be an audience that was kind of expecting the kind of material I wanted to develop and write. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're funny, then your cleaner stuff should work at a dive bar or a club or anywhere. Um, you have a, a paid spot for a booked headliner at the end of the show. It always closes strong. Mm-hmm. Um, there are musicians uh, who perform before and after us. So the music crowd for the act ahead of us generally sticks around. The uh, the crowd for the act that follows us is trickling in about the time the headliners taking the stage, uh, and so that's that part's worked great. It's a lot of fun. The owners love the show and are very supportive of it. So it's kind of taken off and working pretty well. Well, man, that's that's pretty cool. I definitely got to get in there. Uh, let me ask you about you know one of the conversations I have with a lot of comics is trying to find their voice and you've been at it for a little while now so you've you've got some some miles behind you but as you look at the miles ahead of you have you found the lane that your voice is in yet or getting closer you know i i feel like i'm getting close though i don't sort of know where that is and that's kind of that's the main thing i'm sort of thinking about obsessing about kind of struggling with now i mean you know i'm three and a half years in two and a half years of really kind of getting after it mm-hmm. as much as my wife will tolerate. Right. <laughs> uh, but, uh, and so I, I know I'm funny. I know that I can come up with an idea and turn it into a joke that will get a laugh. I know that I can deliver a sort of basic joke. I know that I can do some creative twists on things and move away from the basic joke format. But, and, and I'm very good at now the discipline of when I come up with a joke idea. I'm either pulling out this little notebook in my pocket or going to voice memos on my iPhone and putting down enough of the essence of that joke that I don't forget it. Um, but as one of my buddies says, I'm still kind of a slave to inspiration. And that means that I've got kind of jokes that are all over the place. Now, as I've written a bunch of jokes, there's starting to be some common things that I can pull together into pseudo chunks mm-hmm. for when I do book shows and things, you know, that I can sort of pull together and have it at least appear that I've written something with some consistency. But there's still kind of 
jokey jokes. Uh-huh. Um, I, I heard in, an interview from the 60s with, with Woody Allen, uh, you know, not somebody you'd want to take a lot of life advice from, but sure. about comedy, he knows his stuff. Him and Bill Cosby are running some workshops <laughs> right, to improve right. your family yeah. life. Uh, and, and he said, you know, new comics think it's really all about the material. Uh, and good material is a given. I mean, it has to be mm-hmm. funny stuff. But he said, you really become a comedian when you move from being uh, a guy telling funny jokes to a funny guy telling jokes. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what I'm struggling with. When I'm on stage now, I'm still way too much in my head. I'm still too much of the writer thinking about the structure and this phrase and how to get that. I'm, I'm getting better at just sort of dealing with the beats of a joke and being more present and more kind of interactive. Uh, so that's part of it. The other part of it is just kind of what's my point of view, what's my perspective so that, as my friend says, I'm not as much a slave to inspiration, but I'm much more thinking about developing and writing stuff from that point of view. And then audiences and ideally bookers kind of know, you know, when we book Bo Schuster, he's this. Right. Um, I mean, right now, to be perfectly honest, when you book Bo Schuster, he's got some stuff, but it's kind of <laughs> scattershot. It's kind of, you know. And, and and a little too much sort of still kind of jokey jokes, I think. So and if you were to describe yourself now, say I'm, I'm calling you on the phone as a booker. I'm like, hey, Bo, um, I'm trying to find a spot for you on one of my shows coming up. How would you describe your show and your comedy persona? What would you say now besides it's just scattershot? Like what kind of vibe or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want to say I'm scattershot all over the place <laughs> and I tell jokey jokes and it's not great. And I may and not so- show up on time. <laughs> Who's going to turn yeah. this guy down? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you're the guy we've been looking for. Um, smart, silly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of goofy, absurd. Um, you know, a guy who, you know, I'm a, I'm a physician. You know, a guy with this much education who is, you know, the, the, the character on stage is he's surprisingly clueless for somebody who has, you know, that much education. That's so not, that's not a bad starting point. You know, yeah. the, the clueless doctor, the kind of thing. Um, I mean, and of course you got to be careful with your actual yeah. practice and those things <laughs> yeah. so that people aren't, this guy, is, is he more of a, maybe he's just a comedian that's posing as a doctor. Yes. A doctor. Yeah. I still, I still need the day job. Maybe you're a doctor posing as a comedian. Being a physician doing this is, is kind of a double edged sword. I mean, I, I, I do have that perspective and that sort of unique background compared to most other comics, but I also still need the day job. And yeah, and, and I would never want a patient or a family member or a potential patient to sort of see me on stage doing something that would be disrespectful mm-hmm. or, or, or unprofessional. So, and, and, you know, one of the, one of the comedy tricks or one of the, one of the approaches is to, is you know, to, to punch up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, and so for, for those who may not be familiar with that term, it's if, if, if you're writing a joke about someone else, uh, then it's a lot easier to make it funny and not offensive. If it's really about someone who has more advantage, more privilege authority. Than, than you, authority. And if you're a white male physician, I mean, about the, you know, in sort of public perception, you know, there's, you know, it's kind of, you know, lawyers, physicians and then kings and dictators are about the only way that I can punch up. Yeah. So that most of my doctor jokes are really either about me 
uh, or about sort of making fun of the profession. A lot mm-hmm. of folks have said, oh, it's, you're a, I'm a psychiatrist and a hospice doctor. So a lot of folks said, you know, that's comedy gold. You know, well, not really, right. because I don't want to do anything that that's in any way disrespectful to patients. Uh, and there's not a whole lot funny about dying. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> as a comic or as a doctor, yeah, yeah, or, yeah. or as a human, I, I spend too much time dying as it is now as a comic. Uh, so, it's kind of a mixed blessing. It does give me a perspective and a and a whole sort of channel of stuff to work with. But I don't have. There's some ways I don't have a lot of, of options. I've, I've got a character uh, of a burned out doctor. And his name is Dr. Bernie Outman. He has it burned <laughs> out. Uh, and I've done that a few times. And that's that one's been fun. Uh, it's still pretty rough. It, it's it's probably the, the times that I've been on stage where I've done the least sort of structured, you know, written out to, to, the, mm-hmm. to the last letter detail, more verging on almost improvisational stuff is when I've been... Dr. Bernie Outman, where I wear this crumpled, you know, lab coat and pretend I'm smoking a cigarette in right. between you know, <laughs> right. just sarcastic, per- perfectly worthless bits of advice that I'm given. Yeah, a, a doctor who doesn't even know what he's talking about and is phoning it in yeah. is sort of the, the thing. That sounds, uh, that sounds fun. I like having, even if you don't tell the crowd, sometimes you're doing a character, sometimes it's a great writing tool is putting yourself in somebody else's mm-hmm. perspective so that you can get out of your own head a little bit. But the fact that you can actually do that in the show is pretty cool. Well, I know, I mean, as, as a guy who's working full-time doing uh, your medical stuff, you've got to focus on getting the most out of the time you have for comedy. So, you know, as an older guy, I mean, I'm, I'm 48. How old are you, if you don't mind? I'm, I'm 55. I know I don't look a day over 53. That's right. Right, right, right about yeah. that. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, in, the, in some ways, work prioritizes your free time so that you... You just don't have all day to write jokes. You've got specific hours where you can clear right. that up. So what, what are some advantages or, or struggles you have with starting later in life? Any Anything you found to make it easier for you? Yeah, I think the main advantage is just a perspective on things. And, you know, and I've got the perspective of being this age and being a father of four and being married for a long time and having you know, this professional life that I can drawn to have things that particularly older audience members are going to identify with. So, I mean, there's clearly some advantage there, but the, uh, the main disadvantage is, you know, as, as I'm learning and confirming, it takes a long time to get really good at this. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember in the writing class, you, uh, you used to show a clip of Jeff Caldwell doing his first Letterman spot. Yes. And, and, and yeah, it's tight. It's, awesome it's bam 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 and then you go around the class and say you know how i'm i'm, I'm giving some of your class away for free no, that's but, fine. but yeah then you go around and see how long do you think uh that this guy was doing this before he got his first break and uh the the first class i guessed if we were playing prices right rules i would have won yeah because i was the high and i guessed eight years i know a lot of it was say like three years but it was 13 seven, I think or 17 17 and so I, that was probably the saddest moment for me in that class because, you know, I was you know, approaching 50 when I started the class. And I thought, and, and ever since, and it's still the same thing. I'm always kind of looking for shortcuts uh-huh. because I feel like it's a race between getting good at comedy and getting dead 
And I just, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm like, I, I don't have 17 years yeah. to sort of to invest in this. So I'm, I'm trying to, you know, I, I read things, I study things, I watch uh, I, I, your class, and this is uh, was was great. I'm a big, I'm not an alum, I'm a big fan. Um, I feel like the writing class and the performance class, uh, in particular, saved me at least a year. And probably more than that. And the first, so the first time I got up and did an open mic, um, I, I had the tools to at least look like I know what I was doing mm-hmm. and to sort of build a joke st- structure and tell a, you know, and tell a joke. And I got enough laughs early on that I didn't, you know, get so discouraged, you know, three times in to go, ah, forget this. What am I, who am I kidding? Right. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Um, but yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes people say, ah, oh, you can't learn this from a class. Well, you can't develop your style or your persona from a book or a class or a something. But I know it saved me a bunch of time mm-hmm. and gave me a, a good running head start. And, and there's so much depth in that material. And so, yeah, you, there's some things that, that I'm, I'm just now sort of, they're just now sort of making sense to me and making a light come on when I go back and look at my notes from your class, because I've been doing this for, Mm-hmm. Two and a half, three and a half years ago. Oh, okay. Well, now I get it now. Right. Um, but I've always got this sense that uh, I don't have a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, I gotta, I gotta, gonna move this ahead. And 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 you know, my my fantasy goal is to be able to retire in from medical practice uh, in the not too distant future and have more time to devote to this. So I want to have as much experience and and growth kind of under my belt by that time. Um, and so that, that pressure both sort of drives me to sort of keep after it mm-hmm. you know, on a night when I might think, ah, I'm just going to stay home and watch division three lacrosse. Right. Uh, no, I'm going to go to <laughs> that. Your mind. team Otterbein. <laughs> <laughs> go Otterbein. Yeah. Well, I want to say something that it will either inspire you or just make you want to quit. <laughs> And that's uh, when I lived in Columbus, Ohio, uh, back in the 90s, there was a, a gentleman, he, he started comedy in his late 60s, 70s. And he he had some, it was kind of dated type, like almost not vaudeville style, but he, he had some he had some jokes, he had some structure, and he went to open mics, he was relentless. And he was, through a friend, had got an invitation to go audition for The Tonight Show. And he died about two weeks before he got to do the audition. Oh, oh. Yeah, so it's never too late. But I'm wondering if you started two weeks too late. So we were so much pulling for him. Like, yeah. He, and I may have said this on podcast before, but one of my favorite jokes of his was, uh, you know, I'm 70, whatever, and believe it or not, I've never been in an accident. A lot of people behind me have. <laughs> it's just like jokes like that. But he knew who he was, and he had his character down as a guy that could say stuff an old guy would say. And and but he was super sharp. Um, so, yeah, it is about making the most of your time and, and making the most out of your talent, too. So I'm curious if there's a, a mindset when you hit the stage as far as, you know, I think some comics take a while. I know I did. Before I realized that doing comedy is not only just for me, it should be for the benefit of the crowd. Do you have a, a mindset on is the audience there for you or are you for them or what's the mix? Yeah. I mean, it, it's. I realized early on that the best way to sort of keep that fresh to sort of keep me focused on giving my best is to really think about what I'm doing as a gift. And so I actually, before I go up and give a lecture or go up and teach a class, I actually say a quick little prayer, let this be a blessing to one person. Mm-hmm. And that 
Partly Ho- kind of. Hopefully me. No. Yeah, 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 that's right. <laughs> me and somebody else. Yeah. Anything over that then is gravy. What it does is it keeps me focused on sort of giving this as a gift. Mm-hmm. It takes some of the pressure off. It sort of puts me in a psychological place where, you know, this is not a, an evaluation. This is not a make or break. I'm not going to, you know, my, my professional reputation as a professor of psychiatry is not at risk here. Yeah. Um, and, and it just kind of loosens things up. It ends up being a much better a, a, a much better offering. Yeah, it's a higher purpose than just get, and, getting and, the laughs. And I think that's that's kind of how an artist thinks. Uh, I, my oldest son's a professional musician, and and he's this is what he's loved since he was this high. We've always told our kids, find what you're created to do and pour your heart into it. When he said he wanted to be a professional musician, my temptation was to say, find what you're created to do that has benefits right. and pour your heart <laughs> yeah, into yeah. it. But it's no fair to do that. And he's and he's done great. He's put in the work. He's he's gigged until now. He's got to the point where he can support himself with his music, which mm-hmm. is fantastic. But what I saw him do, just kind of naturally, is sort of move from a place where the performance is about him. Hey, look how great I can play guitar. Look how wonderful my voice is. To now, this is a performance for the audience. I'm going to sort of give this as a gift to you. And that's where you really, I think, become an artist, mm-hmm. where you get to that point where. Yeah, this is a self-expression without being selfish. Yeah, you know, where it is, it's 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 generous, but it's genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, get to that point where, yeah, the the show that I'm about to do is a gift. Um, is really kind of what I'm striving for. Right. I don't want to give you a lousy gift. Gonna I'm s- going to put in the homework to make sure that uh, b- before I give this audience my gift, it's going to be good stuff. Yeah, because dealing with returns, no matter whether it's real or, <laughs> or this artistic gift, yeah. uh, when people come up to you after the show and said, listen, I understand that for the past hour you were giving me this gift, <laughs> but I would like my hour back. And, and at work, I make about 75 bucks an hour. So yeah. I, this show just cost you 75 bucks for giving me that worthless gift. I can't you re-gift know. the show. <laughs> I cannot re-gift the show. <laughs> You know, it's happened to me uh, several times where I just the, the return line is so long after the show. I think they're asking for autographs, but they're just asking me to sign off and give them that seventy-five dollar check. It's a voucher. It's a voucher. Yeah, you know what I would like to do, ma'am, is if you can come back next year, I'll give you a different hour and uh, see if that will we can exchange. We can, we cannot give full refunds, but I can give you uh, returning kind as they will. <laughs> That's funny stuff. No, it's great. It's a good mindset to be in. Uh, lastly, I want to wrap up. With uh, I got a couple questions. One, uh, you, you do clean stuff. You go to church. You know, I do too. I'm, I'm head of the Christian Comedy Association. So not only is the the driving force behind my my comedy writing and my teaching that of uh, being like a Christian and, and as much like Jesus as I can. How how difficult it is, or is it for you when you do other open mics around town or other places where the the comedy isn't clean. Uh, Sometimes it's clean, but it's blasphemous. You know, there's there's yeah. some, some of that with just I, I just cringe. I'm like, okay, if I, if I walk out now, that's not going to solve any problems. Uh, so there's there's a fine line of what you can tolerate and what you can support. But yeah, you know, where does that temptation fall when you hit the other open mics? Yeah, I, I, that's something I really struggle with now because um, now I'm starting to get sort of booked shows. I've got this inventory of stuff that works. Mm-hmm. And I've got an hour, hour and a half of stuff that I can count on. Yeah, when when the planets line up well and uh, mm-hmm. the vibe's good, and I'm on, that uh, these are jokes that'll work. But about half of it is 
not so much dirtier, but edgier maybe than I would really want to do. And that's come from trying to write stuff for the audience that I'm performing to at some of the shows that I go to. What will they think is funny? Mm-hmm. Or I, or something pops in my head and go, yeah, I'm going to go with that because I think that'll get a laugh at X. Um, and, you know, my edgiest stuff is maybe plays with the edge of creepy more than right. really dirty. <laughs> um, but, and compared to some other folks, I mean, it's tame. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, but... It's really not kind of what I want to do. I think some of that is um, not really having my persona, point of view, voice nailed down. Yeah. And sort of having, I'm I'm doing sort of random jokes and, oh, that'll work at this room. Uh, And some of it is just confidence. I mean, some of those jokes work great. Mm Mm-hmm. And and I can use them, and I've got confidence in them. And some of the newer stuff that I don't have confidence, and so some of it is just not having the confidence to kind of let that stuff go and go with some of the other things. Um, I try when I'm writing jokes, I use what I call the Betty Schuster test. My mom has a great sense of humor. Fine Christian lady, not a prude. But when I write a joke, I think, all right, would, would my mother laugh at this joke? Or would my mother laugh but wag her finger at me at this joke? Or would my mother spring up out of her chair, put me in a headlock, <laughs> flip me like a rodeo calf, and wash my mouth out with soap right here in front of everybody? Right. So I mean, there's sort of those three categories. And the, the category three jokes I never tell. I do have some wag my finger jokes that get closer to that edge. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I know, you know, I. I used the Betty Schuster test because I spent my whole childhood finding and testing those boundaries of those three categories. And yeah, Betty's a scrappy lady. She could still flip me over and wash my mouth out. Um, That's kind of what I, what I try to do. And I think um, it's kind of a struggle. I mean, I still have the luxury of being sort of, one of the, I'm not really comedy nobody, but I mean, being sort of below the, of of not having a persona. Mm -hmm. And so I've got the luxury of trying this and trying this and trying this and see, can I make this work and can I make this work? Um, But I may be relying on that a little too much and sort of sticking with things that, you know, rather than working on that joke that two years from now, I hope I'm not going to need to use, but it just, it kills today. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of kind of letting that go, not having the confidence to sort of turn that loose, and 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 again, just not really having settled on a direction and a focus and a here's here's the persona. Yeah, yeah, it's tricky. I think now's a great time. Like I say, you got but no boundaries, so you can experiment with different types of jokes and all that stuff. I think ultimately, you want to write for the audience you want to perform for. That way you're always generating material for that ultimate audience. And I, I think we have an episode called The Ultimate Audience. Yes. I'll, I'll put that in the, in the show notes. But, you know, the long-term plan, if you're a comic, is to develop your own following. And so writing material that they can gravitate to, that's going to be the most important thing. And the more you define yourself and all that stuff, that'll help it. But if you're always trying to chase what's going to appeal to this crowd over there and this crowd over there, you might work a lot, but it's going to be shallower work, and it's always going to yep. be taken a little bit away from your focus. And you know, we mentioned Jeff Caldwell a little while ago. One thing that I liked about him is no matter where we worked in those 17 years leading up to his Letterman, I think I, I worked with him probably 10 years of that. Uh, if we were at a saloon, if we were at a, a sports bar, we were at a comedy club, or at a, 
a theater or anything like that, he was always doing the material that he wanted to do on Letterman so that when he got there, he had an overabundance and was able yes. to do seven or eight Letterman's. So it's a discipline thing. I think uh, really confidence is one thing, but the bottom line, underlying thing is trust. Yeah. And so do you trust yourself and trust your direction enough to guide the material you're writing? And, and that can take a while to get to that point. But I think that's really the underlying thing. A psychiatrist guy. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I agree. Um, but a good conversation to have and, uh, and definitely something everybody listening is probably wrestling with one way or the other. So very good. Well, as we wrap up, um, you know, you've been doing it for a few years. You've got an, an eye on what you want to do with it. What are some either long-term or short-term goals you're working towards right now? And, and have you, in, in the same sense, have you accomplished some goals already that you want to share? Yeah. Uh, and, and that's one of the things that I appreciate about, about you and, and the class and the, the school of laughs is the focus on comedy goals. Yeah. And I'm a pretty goal oriented guy. You don't get through medical school if you're not pretty goal oriented. Uh, so I sat down and wrote out some comedy goals at the end of, I guess it was the writing class, maybe the performing class a few years ago. And I actually pulled them up and looked at them and I've, and I've hit most of those, which is fun, which means I need some new goals. Yes, you do. Um, but you know, I, yeah, one is I want to sort of learn and understand about what makes things funny and help other people, you know, get other people to, to help me think that through. Well, I've kind of got that with, you know, the, the writing group that, I, that I'm with and just hanging out and talking shop with comics in the comedy gym. Um, um, yeah, in, in my goal then was to be a regular performer locally and regionally. So I'm... Uh, co-host uh, of show uh, I'm going up you know, to mics I'm getting pretty regular book gigs in and around town and some out of state had my first headliner gig that's right this spring that's right uh, sent you a thank you note you know, at that time that so great. thank you again um, so I'm, I'm there um, and yeah, you know, I also wanted to be a a, a, a better speaker and you know, sort of incorporate comedy into the into the lecturing and stuff that I do which I've been able to do yeah, I'm kind of thinking about sort of the next step goals. And so it's it's kind of hard to make find your persona a goal. But mm -hmm. I mean, I obsess about that. So I guess that's really a goal. Yeah, it's it's something, yeah. A, a lot of folks I've talked to said it's just, it'll come to you. Just, you know, just, you know, relax and sort of let it happen. But I'm, again, I'm trying to find a shortcut, you know, before, you know, the Grim Reaper. Yeah. You know, well, it, well, I'll tell you one thing, and it's, um, and you support through Patreon again, so thanks for doing that. And one of the Club 52 exercises I have people do early on when they're in the uh, the process is to ask other people to write a few words down about how they would describe your act. Uh, 10 or 15, if you have that many friends. You have a lot of people come to your open yeah. mics and have seen you multiple times. So say, hey, you know, before the show, this, this would be really helpful. I've got a note card here. Could you just write down how you describe my act and be perfectly honest and don't – I'm not looking for compliments. I just kind of want to know – what the vibe is that people right. get and then look at those 10 or 15 note cards and see what the common theme is. There's going to be some overlapping words and terms, and that will at least help describe your act. And the underlying thing behind that, will be who you are generating that material. So that, right. that would be a great first step as far as kind of at least tapping into what the perception is now. A, it could be a, a great guiding fact like, Oh, this is, this is kind of what I thought. So I'm going to go with this. B, it could be completely different than what you think. Right. And you're like, okay, I'm putting out the wrong impression or or maybe maybe if that's what they're seeing, I can write for that and, and it's it follows my views and everything else and it lines up with it. So, you know, getting that outside perspective is a good thing to do. 
And I don't think enough comics ask for that, especially with the the qualifier that be honest, don't try to give me mm-hmm. a compliment because comics right. in general have thin skin. But to know that is is priceless, I think. Yeah, yeah. I I've thought about I haven't done that, and I, and, and I will I will commit to doing that because I think that will be helpful. I, I have thought about something similar is is contacting you know half dozen folks who've seen me perform a hundred times mm-hmm. and say you know now that you've seen me do stuff all over the place uh, what's one thing that you've noticed me do on stage that you think is great and i should do more of or build on what's one thing that you think oh my goodness i wish he'd cut cut that out right i wish he'd stop doing that he's shooting himself in the foot yeah and just you know and, and folks may say ah nothing but if there's somebody who's been noticing something like that and, and i mean you know the scene here there's some really good comics yes and and some really you know, touring pros folks that know what they're doing um if one of them is just sort of too nice to say you know hey bo stop doing x i mean it'll then i'd really like to know that yeah 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 that's good. Yeah, my, my I guess my my other goals are I'm sort of, and, and and you've sort of taught this and it's been in the in the podcast about sort of moving up the ladder. I guess the next step in the ladder for me is sort of MC at more than just my own show. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm I'm nowhere near ready to be anybody's headliner or, and and yeah, on a regular. I I had the one sort of one off, but I mean, I'm not ready to yeah tour and do stuff like that but to be to sort of find a place to sort of do sort of regular mc work where i'm mixing it up with the headliner level folks yeah, would, getting be, on a pro stage would and... be a goal that i would that i would have next and then you know when i am able to retire and devote some more time to this i think you know by that time especially i don't know that i'm going to have the youth and the stamina or the patience and indulgence for my wife to sort of be a road comic guy. Right. So, you know, do I develop something that is saleable for, um, you know, private shows and conferences and things, or one of the advantages of being in Nashville is this is an entertainment town. And so can I develop a show that's, that's different. It's Uh not just a booked showcase show. It's not a, uh, an open mic, but some kind of a show that kind of gets some traction and becomes a thing. And then I don't have to, you know, travel the road and, and you know, try to be a 60 something year old, you know, road warrior. Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, it's a, that's a so, good thing to think about. It, it, what popped in my mind was the Doyle and Debbie show. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly the kind of thing I'm thinking but that. Yeah. The, the parody of mm-hmm. sort of the, the country music touring show, the almost sort of a parody of, Porter Wagner, Dolly Parton. Yeah. Uh, and it's hilarious and has a following and it's a thing. Yeah. Yes. Something like that would be cool. Or, you know, a friend of mine that maybe I should connect you with her. She wants to do a similar thing, find a venue in town that, and do a monthly thing where it's, it's formatted. People come, they kind of know there's going to be a surprise guest behind the door, that kind of thing. Almost yes. like, not a Pee Wee's Playhouse to that extreme, but to a thing where they, when they come in, they know there's going to be parts that are, if they come often, they're, on the inside of it. Yeah. And it will still surprise the people attending for the first time, but there's some continuity to it to where you can actually start writing specific, specific jokes for that or songs for that or little sketches for that part of the show. And that gives you something hard and fast to, to look forward to each month. Yeah. So I'll, I'll remind me to That'd be great. Yeah, I'd connect love, you with her I'd and love see to if you guys can work that out. Well, Bo, man, thank you very much for letting me come into your home and uh, pick your brain a little bit. It's always good to see students that stick with it 
take it to a different level. And then also, I mean, having an open mic that some of my new students can go to and help them develop, you're kind of paying it forward that way. So just super impressed with what you're doing. Keep Thank it you. Up. Yeah, folks, if you're if you're in the Nashville area, the region, more than welcome to come to the open mic at Belcourt Taps. More than welcome to come to the comedy gym. We'd love to have folks come to both of those. Cool. I'll put some contact information in the show notes so people listening can click on through and, and get to know you and sign on for those opportunities. Great. It's gonna be cool. Well, thanks again. Thanks. Hope you enjoyed that episode with Bo Schuster. Always good to hear about former students who keep it going. You know, the whole idea behind the School of Laughs is to give you enough knowledge and momentum that your first experiences are positive and you want to go back and relive those positive shows. And uh, he's a good example of a guy who did just that. Uh, Good stuff with Bo Schuster. Thanks, Bo, for letting me in your house and for the candies. And for the, we went out to eat, didn't we? Yeah, we had lunch. Thanks for the big hamburger over there at Murph's. That was good. Hey, a couple of quick things to let you guys know about uh, about the School of Laughs. Cool things going on right and left. The website is being redesigned as we speak. Probably will be launched in the redesign mode here before November, so I'm excited about that. Also excited to let you know about a couple of classes coming up October 11th, 18th, and 25th. Those are all Wednesdays. It's the performance class. If you've taken the writing class in the past and you'd like to get on stage and work those jokes out, this is the time to do it. If you've taken the performance class before and you want to retake it and try out a bunch of new material and develop that and develop some friendships along the way, feel free to contact me through schooloflaughs at gmail.com. If you have a podcast... If you're thinking about doing a podcast, or if you are regularly a guest on podcast or even radio, and you want to learn how to be better at that, please join me and David Hooper here in Nashville, October 21st, that's a Saturday, 10 a.m., 4 p.m., where we're going to help you use improvisational comedy to punch up not only your laughs on your show, but your engagement with your guest, and if you are a guest, how you can use improv comedy to engage the person who's interviewing you as well as the listeners. Hey, it's going to be a great time. We're going to cover a lot of business stuff in that session too, but we're going to talk primarily about you know becoming a more interesting host and guest. It's going to be a lot of fun. Again, shoot me an email for information on that, schooloflast at gmail.com. And then lastly, October 28th, I'm going to run the Business of Comedy Seminar from 1 to 4 p.m. at the headquarters of the School of Laughs here in Hermitage, Tennessee. Uh, 1 to 4, that is, $99. We're going to cover everything you need to know about the business of comedy. You can send me questions ahead of time. You can ask me questions throughout. And you can even ask me questions afterwards if you take that class. And I will get the answers for you if I don't know them already. It's going to be a lot of fun. Again, that's $99. You can get more information on any of those classes and offerings at schooloflaughs at gmail.com. And lastly, I'm recording a new comedy CD on November 1st. That's a Wednesday at Third Coast Comedy Club. Excited about that. Interviewed those guys, saw the room, knew I had to record my CD there. Nice and intimate. About 90-so people can fit in there. So uh, feel free to come out and support me on that. If you've never supported me in any other way, that would be a great time to do it. Just $10 tickets to get in. The show starts at 7.30 with uh, Brian Bates, who you've heard on the uh, podcast before. And then I'll follow him up with uh, a good hour plus of comedy. Other than that, just one more note about the Clean Comedy Conference that's coming up again in San Diego this year. It's going to be a beautiful place to have the conference. Uh, If you've never been there before, 
as a destination. San Diego is a great place. And the conference is going to give you lots of great tips on how to become a better clean comedian. Eddie Brill, comedian and former Late Show Booker, will be on the panel, as well as Jimmy Brogan, who is the former Tonight Show Booker and a writer for The Tonight Show. Uh, Tony Calabrese, very funny comedian, will be on the panel, as well as Trenton Davis. Francis DeLorenzo, who's very, very funny. Maria Herman, who's also the co-director of the entire thing, along with Brandon Young. Jeff Hodge, who's a funny comedian. Mark Christopher Lawrence, who's not only a comedian, but an actor. Amy Pittle will be on board. She's a former booker of cruise ships and Las Vegas shows, so she's going to give you insight onto what they look for. Eric Street, a reality show producer and comedian, will be on the panel as well. And Brandon Young, who is a co-director of the entire thing, along with Maria Herman, will be in there. So lots of great people giving you great feedback. You can log on to cleancomedyconference.com and go register. If you mention School of Laughs, you will get 20% off the registration code up to a certain date. So get in there now. Make sure you haven't missed it. Again, the cleancomedyconference.com happening October 12th, 2017 through Saturday, October 14th in San Diego. Have a good one, guys. Stay safe and stay funny. Thanks for listening to the School of Laughs podcast. If you'd like to hear more School of Laughs podcasts, you can find them on iTunes and Stitcher.com. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review. For information on upcoming live and online classes, visit schooloflaps.com. Until next time, stay tuned, stay focused, and stay funny.